Um, but I'm really, really excited to be here, to be able to speak to you from the Word today. I used to be one of those people that would stand up and say, you know, the only letters I have to have after my name are not MD, it's not PD, P, PhD, it's ADHD, actually. <laughs> and so I used to get up and say that like that was a bad thing and that was a negative thing, but you're going to see from what I say today that it's absolutely not. And I really and truly believe that now because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am made in the image of God, and no matter how we might feel or compare ourselves to others, uh, we're going to find out today that we are fully known and we are fully loved. Before I ever get started with talking, I like for people to see who they're talking to. Um, so I'm not just a speaker. This is who I really am. Uh, this is me with my husband, Daniel, and then my oldest daughter, Abby, who really did actually love having us at Freed Hardeman last year. I told her when she was little that I was going to find a way to get to go to college with her, and I did. I did it. I was successful. Um, but she's already called saying she misses having us there. The food in Gano's not good. Please come back. Um, this is my next oldest, Josiah. He is 12. Levi is 11. And my Gracie Jane is 7. And they are all blessings to us, and we love them so very much. They make us better. Let's go ahead and turn to Psalm 139. The title that we have over this is Search Me, O God, and Know My Heart, which can be kind of a frightening thing once you get to thinking about it. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, oh, behold, oh Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. I can't attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me to together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were before formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I'm still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So first off, that psalm 
song takes you through a lot of emotion, doesn't it? I mean, there's a whole lot of feeling there that you can really read that. And if you read that with the feeling that they are having it, it brings something up in you. But the thing that we really want to take from this psalm is that we are fully known. There's only one who truly knows us. Have you ever sat with somebody, maybe your spouse, maybe a friend, maybe a mother, maybe a sister, but somebody that you feel like, I am so comfortable with this person because they really know me. They get me. They're my person. I got to meet Lori Boyd yesterday as she drove me and my husband from the the airport. And so we had this nice hour-long drive that we were talking back and forth. And we were both sitting in the car and we were like, yeah, we get each other. We're kindred spirits. This is going to work out. This is a good friendship. You know when you meet those persons. But is there anyone on earth that completely knows you? Everything about you, every secret, every good thought, every bad thought, everything that goes through you, there's only one, and it's God. Let's go all the way back to the garden, okay? We're going to go back to Genesis 2. And in Genesis 2, we know, we see Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve have made a big mistake. They've sinned, they've broken the only rule that God has given them. They've eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They've covered themselves with with fig leaves. And this is funny to me, because they're going through the garden, and God calls to them, and Adam's like, who is it? I mean, who else is it going to be? You're with Eve. Who did you think it was? And that just feels so silly. But he was doing that because his eyes were open, and he was ashamed. He was vulnerable. He was naked. And so God comes and he talks to him. And then he does something that just, it's baffled me. Ever since I was even little, it has baffled me. That he admits to eating the fruit, but then he blames Eve. And he blames God. The woman that you gave me caused me to sin. I mean, it gives me chill bumps thinking about it. Blaming God for our sin. But don't we do that? Well, this is the way God made me. I can't do anything about my temper. This is how God made me. I can't do anything about the hurt and the anger that I feel God made me this way. What am I supposed to do about it? Well, God punishes all involved from the serpent to Adam and Eve. And there has to be a plan in place to save the world. But wait, God knows all, right? He knew this before they ever did this. He knew before the beginning of the world. He knew they were going to hurt him and he chose to create them anyway. He chose to love them. He chose to give them the choice. He knew they were going to choose wrong and he allowed them to do it anyway. He gave them garments of skin that day. Have you ever thought about that really? That he gave them garments of skin? Where did they come from? God just spent six days creating the earth. Surely he could create this and put that on them and say, here you go. Curly peacock right there. Wear it proudly. But he didn't. He put skins on them. Where did he get the skins? Something died that day, right? Blood was shed that day in the garden to cover the nakedness of their sin. The first blood sacrifice. Is it possible that that blood shed could have been the blood of a lamb? Now, the Bible doesn't tell us this, okay? So I'm thinking a little outside the box there, but could that sacrifice have come from a lamb? Because we see later on in the Old Testament many times a lamb is sacrificed as a blood sacrifice for sins. And if that is the case, then a lamb was sacrificed right there in the garden foreshadowing the ultimate sacrifice of the Lamb of God from the very beginning. 
from the very beginning God knew he knew he loved he did it anyways it, it, it's just amazing to me the Bible is a true love story the cover-up the literal cover-up of the fig leaves was unsuccessful Adam and Eve they were not successful with their cover-up because they were fully known in their attempt to hide from God he already knew yet he gave them a choice while they were vulnerable and ashamed have you ever thought about this also now it's very possible that this happened but there's no record of Adam and Eve apologizing there's no record of them saying, I'm sorry, God, forgive me. I wish I hadn't done this. Please help, help me to do better. Help me to change what we did. Help us to make this work. There's no evidence of that there. Now, I'm sure they were sorry. Things went, took a really south turn for them after the garden. I'm sure they were sorry. But do you think maybe things could have been different for them in some way? Had they repented? Had they said, God, I'm sorry? Had they said, God, I shouldn't have done that instead of throwing blame, which is what they actually did that we see. There was a lot of death in the garden that day. There was a death of a world free from sin. The world forever had sin in it, and we feel it every day. There was the death of the spiritual lives of Adam and Eve. Their spiritual lives had then had sin in it. They, they could no longer be in the garden and walk with God. A lot of times we learn in Bible class early on that God kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden. I don't teach that. And if you do, that's okay. Keep on doing what you do. Uh, but I teach that Adam and Eve had to leave the garden. Because God was in the garden, and they had sinned, and sin and God can't coexist. They can't be in the same place at the same time. They had to leave the garden, and God, God was sad about it because he loved Adam and Eve, but he had a plan. He put something in place with them. And then we also learned that there was a physical death that day, likely, of the skin of an animal so that the blood was shed to cover their sin of nakedness. Blood sacrifice then became a consistent and the world needed to consistently gain forgiveness of sin until the day that the perfect sacrifice arrived. God knew. He knew what they would do. He knows what we will do. We too attempt to hide from God. Maybe we do something and we avoid worship. We avoid prayer. We avoid taking the Lord's Supper. We avoid fellowshipping with people because we know we have something in our life that we're trying to hide. We don't want others to know about it because if they know about it, then maybe God would know about it and he would be unhappy with us, but he already knows. He already knows. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. That's verses 2 through 6. The psalmist also exclaims, Where can I flee from your spirit or from your presence? Have you ever thought about Jonah in this situation? Where, where can I flee? That's exactly what Jonah did. Jonah was told to go to Nineveh. He didn't really want to hang with those folks. And so he decided not to go, even though God told him to go. And so he ends up on this boat, and all the storms are raging around them. The men kind of figure it out. Hey, I think it's because of this guy. They throw him in the water. He is swallowed up by a great fish, which is God's plan. He stays in that stinky fish for three days. He spit back out onto the land. And even still, he doesn't want to go to Nineveh. Long story short, yeah, he ends up in Nineveh. Because <laughs> that was God's plan, right? That was God's plan for what he needed him to do. But Jonah couldn't hide. He tried to flee, but he couldn't hide from God. He 
declares that God will find him even if he ascends to heaven or descends to Sheol. If he dwells in the remotest part of the sea or darkness envelops him, God will still know exactly where he is. When we watch movies, all the time, the bad guy is in the dark, right? Everything that they do is in the dark because darkness is thought to cover up sin. It's thought to cover up bad things. But that's exactly why we have to let our darkness, let our sin be known so that God is shedding his eternal light on it. He already knows. He already knows what we're doing. But if we allow his light to be shed on it, then that might change us in front of others too and help them and their paths along the way. Luke chapter 12 verse 7 reminds us that God knows even the hairs on our head. Um, likewise, Luke 16, 15 instructs us that he knows our hearts and that what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Think of all the things that are being exalted among men right now. And the abomination in God's sight. And here's the thing. We may not be participating in them, but are we fighting against them? Are we just idly sitting by the side, letting Satan distract us with other things while others fall into that darkness? It's our job to help them, to bring them into the light. And it's not an easy job, but that's part of our responsibility. He knows our thoughts and deeds and will judge us accordingly in the last day. Revelations 20, 11 through 15. Attempting to hide our sins from God, it is futile at best. The psalmist knows this and he says it in verse 7 that we just read. But the writer is aware of the omnipresence, the omnipotence, and then the omniscience of God. He gets that. David gets that when he is writing. He is everywhere and he is all-powerful and he is all-knowing. We can't hide from him ever. Ever. No matter how badly we want to. So what should we do? We should accept it. Really, truly, that's the only thing we can do. Once we accept that God knows all, He sees all, it knows everything about us, then we accept the transparency of God that will bring us into a relationship with Him where we truly are, like I said in the beginning, closer to Him than anyone else there is because He knows us better than anyone. It's so much better than kindred spirits. With the Holy Spirit and with God and knowing that He loves you and wants to take care of you and that he knew what you were going to do long before you ever did it, still created you, wanted you here on earth and wants you to be in heaven. But secrecy. We think about the the church being a hospital for sinners, but here's the thing. We want it to be a hospital for other people's sins. <laughs> we want them to come in and feel free to tell us their sins and we're going to say we love you and we're going to show them the Bible verses and we're hopefully going to sit by them on the pew. That's a big pet peeve of mine. We don't let people sit alone and unless they want to be alone and have four kids. Um, but we, we want people to know Jesus but what about when it's us? Do we accept the help of the doctors and nurses, which are going to be the Christians, in the hospital? Do we let them help us with our deepest, darkest sins, with the things that we know that we've done wrong, that we're ashamed of, and we've got our fig leaves on, and we're trying to hide because we're ashamed? And we don't want people to know that we've done that, or we've been involved with that, or we've said that. Are we transparent? with our relationship with others like God wants us to be. 
secrecy keeps us alone. And alone is exactly where Satan wants you to be. Because alone is where you sit and you listen to him tell you those deep, dark, terrible things about yourself. Nobody's going to love you. Your personality is not one of those personalities that we can really sit with, okay? They don't want to sit with you because you're annoying and because you lie or you gossip or you smell bad. I don't know. But Satan will tell you the worst things about you and he wants you to believe them. He knows the best about you and hates you anyway. And Jesus knows the worst about you and loves you anyway. But God... We saw how he loved Adam and Eve in the garden. He loved them through their sin. He provided a way for them to get back to him before they even knew what was happening, knew what was going on. Think about the Israelites in the Old Testament. What is pretty much the the trope of the Israelites? Sin, repeat. Sin, repeat. So this is this is what they do. They they fall away from God, then they're sorry because their life is miserable, and then they want to come back to God. And then they fall away and they come back and they do it over and over and over and over and over. We see God make a way because He loves them and He wants them to be able to come back to Him. Yet yet that is not always the path that they choose. In Acts chapter five, we see a couple, Ananias and Sapphira. My brain always thinks, liar, liar, pants on fire, Ananias and Sapphira. (laughs) I had somebody teach me that when I was young in Bible class, and it's never gone away. But it's true, isn't it? So Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5, they sell a plot of land. And you, you know what? Part of what they did is admirable, and part of what they did is awful. Because they sell their land, and do they have to give that money to God? Nobody's making them give it to God. They decide they're going to give that money to God, but we're going to keep a little bit back for us, and we're going to say we gave it all. That way they're going to think we're really awesome. You know, we love God more than everybody because we're giving more, which makes us better. And so Ananias goes in first, and he lays the money before Peter. Peter knows. He already knows what's going on. And he acts as if he has given all of his money. And Peter says, you've lied before me, and you've lied before God. And Ananias dies right there. He is struck dead. A few minutes later, a little while later, I don't really know how long, his wife Sapphira comes in, and she doesn't know the fate of her husband. And then she does the same thing and suffers the same fate. Could they have just given some of the money and kept some to live on? Absolutely they could have. If they were honest about it, the lie was what drove them into trouble. The secrecy, the trying to hold back and make things seem better for them than they were. They were trying to deceive men and deceive God and the secrecy of sin was fatal for them. Surely that piece of transparency would have served them better. So the tumor is invisible to the naked eye of a human. But it's it's potentially fatal and certainly dangerous. This is actually the tumor of one of my friends who was diagnosed with this glioblastoma a couple of months ago. And she named it Tilly. And we have since gotten rid of Tilly. Tilly was trying to dig in and destroy everything around, around where she could because tumors are fatal. But if it hadn't been for the doctors having something called an MRI where they could look inside my friend's body and see that tumor, realize that tumor 
was there, the danger that was posing on her body, and saying, we're going to get rid of this tumor, she could have been in a lot worse shape, right? Santa's kind of like that. Santa's kind of a life tumor, isn't it? And unfortunately, we don't have something that we can look inside of our body as a sin detector and find the sin tumors that are going on all inside of our bodies. The things that are corrupting us from the inside. Even the secrets of maybe one thing that we've done that we're holding on to that are, it's corroding and hurting and burning because God, Satan wants us to be aware alone. And keeping that secret is helping us to hold on to the tumor that is already killing us from the inside. We want to be transparent just like that MRI scanner, just like a sin scanner if we had it, and realize that we can use the transparency of being fully known to God to humbly ask forgiveness and for God's help in removing the tumor from our lives. He tells us if we ask, we shall receive, right? And that doesn't mean, I know a lot of people like to look at Romans 8, 28. Does anybody know that verse? All things work together for good to them that love the Lord. So that means that if I'm good and I love Jesus, then everything's going to be hunky-dory. That's what a lot of people want to feel like. They put it on their shirts. They put it on their stickers on the backs of their laptops. But that's not what it means. It means all things work together for the ultimate good, which is what? Heaven. It's going to be with God. It's His ultimate plan, not ours. Not the little things along the way. Because I'm telling you right now, I love Jesus. But there have been parts of my life that just have absolutely stank. I mean, just bad. And pushed me over to a point where Daniel says that I lost my um, filter. <laughs> that I became just so transparent that I'm just desperate to help people to never, ever go through the things that I've gone through and hurt the way I've hurt. Some my fault, some the fault of others, but it's there. It's there because sin came into the garden to begin with. But I can defeat it because God made a plan. We are perfectly made in, made in the image of God. Psalm 139, let's look at 13 and 14 now. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful, wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. I'm going to add right here, and I'm not going to go off on a tangent like my brain really wants to, but sometimes we don't believe that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. I have one baby that had a cleft lip and palate and was asked to abort that baby at 19 weeks, but it was because I was very unhealthy in my pregnancy. But I tell him daily, you are made in the image of God. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. He really does. He's 11. He really does feel like his cleft lip scar makes him special. God gave him something special and different about him because that's what I've helped him to understand. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I have another little girl that has um, so many physical and mental problems and emotional problems that it's it's mind-boggling sometimes to think about and talk about. But that baby is fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. And anything going on with her, anything that has happened, God is going to use it for His glory. And I know that. I know that to be very, very true. I want you to think about a work of art. When I taught kindergarten, inevitably, we would be coloring and somebody, some kid would just get that thought. Satan sitting on their shoulder, hey, color on their paper. And so they color on somebody else's paper. This didn't they wrote 
and it's the end of the world for them. Well, if you're working hard on something, you don't want someone to mess up your creation. But what about God's perfect creation and the, the splotches of sin that we put on it all the time? It doesn't even have to be a paintbrush, but just somebody flicking that paintbrush and those dots getting all over us. And, and God looks at us, and does he just throw us away? If we ran and we flicked paint on the Mona Lisa, would they toss it? No, what would they do? They would go through some painstaking situation to remove those specks, wouldn't they? They would bring out their finest tools and their best people and they would go to work. Well, that's God. Sometimes we have to go through some painstaking things to get back to Him. But will it be worth it in the end? Yes. A problem that a lot of us have that I feel like we have to go through is I think a lot of times we don't feel worthy ourselves. Once we have those spots on us that somebody has somebody has slipped that paintbrush, then we don't feel worthy anymore. We might go in and sit and worship and hear the words and go through the motions but we feel like we have something so dark going on that, that we're not worthy anymore. And here's what I'm saying to you. Me, myself, a lot of times I'll look in the mirror and I have several conditions that keep me from losing weight. It is a huge thing for me. I look at it and see it all the time when I look in the mirror. You probably don't. That's probably not the first thing you noticed about me, was it? <laughs> and I, because of some medicines I take for my heart and my thyroid, that, that weight's just going to be there. And if I want to live, I'm going to keep taking that medicine. So I see that, but wait a minute. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Okay, now that's a physical body image issue. But what if you know you have gossiped? What if you know you spent some time saying some things that aren't real true? What if you know that when you're scrolling through Facebook, you want their new kitchen remodeled? <laughs> you think that's, that's pretty great. I wish they didn't have it. I wish I had it. What if you know that you're selfish? What if you know that you're lustful? What if you know that you get angry and you freak out on your husband every second you can? What if you know that you overdo it with the gluttony? What if you know that you're lazy? And when you look in the mirror, what do you see? Uh, it's not pretty, is it? Doesn't look good, does it? It's hard to see past all of that. It's hard to understand that we are the things that we are. But if you look in Ephesians chapter 1, you'll find the things that you are. I'm not going to read the whole chapter because of this clock right here. But it says that we are secured. We are recipients of a glorious inheritance. We are redeemed and forgiven. We are adopted. We are equipped. We are chosen. And we are holy and blameless. Now, when I look in the mirror, what do I see? Do I despise myself as much? No. Because this is the things that we are. This is what God's going to restore us to, right? Because this is what He's already made us. That is who we truly are. The psalmist goes on and he praises God. Oh, he praises God for His bountiful thoughts, realizing they are more than can number the sand. He says He wants to slay the wicked because they speak against Him. His anger rises as He speaks of loathsome feelings toward those who rise up against them. He hates those people for how they have treated His Lord. But then, in verses 18 through 24, the very end there, he asks God for a heart scan. Not in those words. But he says, God, I want you to search me and try me. Look at my heart, Lord. I 
want to go to heaven more than anything there is. If I've done these things, help me. Search me. Try me. Let me get there. That's where I want to be. And I want to take as many people as I can with me with the transparency that I need to have. We are fully known by God. Satan wants us alone. He wants us to feel defeat. But here's something that I want to stick in before we get done. Social media has become a huge place where people feel lesser. I mean, Satan is using this tool left and right, but can we use it for God? Can we use it for good? Absolutely. And I know many women that use it for God, men too, that use it for God and try to do what is good and true and right. But a lot of times what we see is the beautiful kitchen remodel, the vacation, the pounds lost, the new baby, the uh, beautiful vacation that people have gone on with friends without us, or the perfect makeup that people have, the perfect bodies. But what we're not realizing is there's always a behind the scenes, right? There's always, as Paul Harvey says, the rest of the story. There's broken marriages. There's alcohol. There's weight problems, drugs, bankruptcy, bad behavior of children, depression and darkness, and on and on because Satan wants us alone. I posted this picture almost 10 years ago. Missionaries don't really have the money just to go to places around the world. So when your plane flies through and you have a 23-hour layover, you better believe you're taking your 1-year-old, your 2-year-old, and your 11-year-old, and you're going to see the Eiffel Tower. And that is what we did. Our double stroll bit the dust coming out of the airport. So uh, boys are difficult. Anybody have more than one boy? Okay, so this is a different story of my life. I thought I was a great mom and God gave me two boys. He humbled me greatly. <laughs> and so I get these uh, broken stroller. We go to buy another stroller in a shop in Paris. It was $300. I used that thing to the wheel spell completely off of it. But the boys are having to take turns, okay? See, this picture is, is fantastic. This is what I posted. And yes, it got all the likes and all the hearts. And my dopamine was, oh, it was glorious. I loved it. Who, who said something there? I, I saw this red umbrella. I planned this all. I brought the red umbrella with me. I saw it in a magazine, the same picture. I'm going to have one of those on my wall with me and my husband. And I do. It's a canvas. <laughs> it's right up above my bed so I can see it. But like I said, the rest of the story. <laughs> so the story and it is in the single digits that day. The wind was so cold. You can see the water on the ground while it's been raining. It was not Levi's turn to be in the stroller. So I have the tripod on and I'm running back and forth trying to take my perfect picture, which is all that mattered to me in the world while my poor 11-year-old Abby is hanging on to Levi by the hood. He was laying down most of the time in a puddle, kicking his feet. Strangers taking pictures of my children. Who knows what they may be on YouTube. You can probably search it and see. And so all this is going on and I'm trying to get the perfect picture. Selfish much? <laughs> I mean, and I did. I got it. So then we decide we're going to go on up in the Awful Tower so it has three different levels and when we're on the second level, level the kids are crying. Levi's saying, I don't want to be in the Awful Tower. And so we're up there and we're trying to find something to eat. The food was not good and too expensive so we weren't going to buy any. So the kids are throwing a fit. More people are videoing my kids at this point. <laughs> and y'all, the bird. I'm standing there trying to get food out of a backpack and swap kids out of the stroller. And a black, massive bird. I don't, I don't even know, I mean, when God created this bird. I, I, I don't know what he was thinking. But this bird comes through, hits me.
me, knocks me flat on my bomb in the Eiffel Tower. And when I'm trying to get my wits about me and get back up, I stand up, y'all, it turned around and hit me again. <laughs> this is what I let people see. <laughs> this is the memory I have. And now this makes that memory even better. It truly does. And just so you know, I posted all of this the next day so that my friends could see the rest of the story. And it mattered to them because some people saw this and do you know what they thought? Man, Tiffany has a perfect marriage and her life is perfect and I mean everything just goes so great for her and I just can't. They don't know. They don't know my inward thoughts. They don't know my heart. But God does. God knows. God knows the selfishness that I was feeling that day. He knows that the next day I felt guilt and I felt sadness and I didn't want my friends to feel bad about their own marriages and their own lives and I wanted them to see the truth. See what was really going on in my life which is it's been mass chaos since the day I had Josiah just to be completely honest. I mean it's still chaos. I don't know. <laughs> Psalm 139 is a beautiful, beautiful psalm of understanding. I love the emotion in it. And, and just through you seeing me for the past 30, 30 or 40 minutes, you can see that I am a person filled with emotions. Um, and I have to work really hard not to let those emotions run me, not to let those emotions control me, but to instead use those emotions to try to save others, to try to help others get to heaven, to try to be as transparent as I can with my sins. Not that I'm trying to go out and sin just so I can boast, hey, I got through this and you will too. No, but to let people see into the darkest places in my life and say, it's going to be okay. It, it might hurt for a long time. It might hurt forever. But you're going to get through it. You're going to make it because God has you. He has a plan from the very beginning. He is going to take care of you. Just like he took care of Adam and Eve. Could he have killed Adam and Eve? Sure he could have. He could have started completely over with the world, couldn't he? But he didn't because he loved them. Regardless of their sin. Regardless of what they did. Regardless of what we do all the time. That, that blood from the cross, from the perfect Lamb of God, it flows to the past, present, and future. It touches us all. Because we are fully known. We are fully loved. And when we feel alone, where Satan wants us to be, that's the time that we've got to work the hardest and push those thoughts out and realize that there are people that will help you. I will listen to you and never breathe a word on the face of the earth because I've had to have those people that have helped me through that have helped me through those dark places. You are fully known. You, each one of you, are fully loved, even when you feel alone, even when you feel like no one understands you, He does. And the best thing we can do is to come to Him humbly, 
and say, search me and try me, God. Help me to know your will for me. Help me to know the things that I can do to find you. That's what's going to lead us to be with him in heaven. And if you miss heaven, you miss everything. Can you pray with me, please?